0: Hello and welcome to the ADHD Mums Podcast. Today we have my always favourite Tanya back. Tanya Waring, how are you? I'm good, thanks. And I know that you've had a a day already
1: and I'm sure everyone who's sent their little ones off to school today or big ones, they will also share in the day they shared with us on Instagram.
0: Yes, it is a good one. I think it's really fitting that we have recorded this on the first day of school. So Tanya said to me after the last episode late last year, wouldn't it be great to do a episode on planning for the school year? Because we did one on planning for school holidays, which was really well received. And I thought, wow, what a cracker idea. So we're recording this on the 22nd of Jan. I think it will be released in about a week, two weeks, which I think is a good time because you're kind of like in survival mode at the moment. But then you'll start to move past that. What, who do you think this episode is for? Well,
1: I think I'm, I've got a bit more experience because my, I've got two older kids and my, my kid with the most difficulty with school is going into grade nine. So I've got all those years behind me and I've sort of reflected back on what I've learned over that time. And I hope that the, I'm sure there'll be things that, that resonate with other mums with kids with ADHD. We've had a very extreme journey. So I feel like we've covered the whole gamut of things that can possibly go wrong. But I think that there'll be, if you've got a little one who's starting in prep, these are things ahead of you, perhaps. And hearing the things that might come sort of, as I just said, forewarned is forearmed. You can sort of be prepared and uh, there are things that I wish I had heard before. I would love to have heard some of this stuff when I was back in the day starting. I mean, I already, we knew when our child started school it was going to be a wild ride. We already knew that, so there was no surprise with that. But I guess I haven't appreciated how taxing and how bloody difficult it has been. And But I think to... The message I want to leave everyone with is connection with your child. They tuned into them and having hopes for their future and that everything that you're doing to build that positive relationship with school is to the benefit of your child. So yeah, these are these are things to think about that will contribute to that building that positive relationship, which is just so important if your child's going to have a good experience with school.
0: So, yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. And one thing that we skipped over, probably unfairly, I just made the assumption that everybody knows who you are, and I will put your other episode, particularly the one on meltdowns, that's always very popular. I'll put that underneath in the episode notes as well. So if you want to go back and listen, you can. Um, This is Tanya's third episode, I'm pretty confident. Is that correct, Tanya? And Tanya is an ex-lawyer, and also you've done your honours in psychology, and you're starting a PhD on meltdowns. Is that correct?
1: yeah. Uh, but the PhD, the topic will be
0: the use of co-regulation
1: in classrooms to help prevent meltdowns. So that's what I'll be
0: looking at for the next three years. Well done, because yeah. I thought the meltdown episode was probably the one that I use most often in terms of information that I've heard. Yeah. The most of the practical strategies that I do day-to-day is from that meltdown episode. So if you haven't listened to it, it is a cracker. First off, I think there's that perception around the first day of school and that we all see the social media and everyone's looking beautiful and mum and dad are both present and the kids look beautiful and they're ironed and everyone's sparkly. And a lot of people that are listening to this podcast don't have that experience. And it can be really jarring to see that when you're like, that's actually not how I live. My child looked homeless and I don't really know what I put in the lunchbox and they've just arrived and I've thrown them out of the side of the car. Because that's, that might be your day today, Whereas because running late and getting there early with the packed car park and every single person in the whole world is a real on show thing that can be really difficult if you don't have that child that's behaving in the way that they should, should air quotes, everyone should be behaving. I did post on social media this morning. I had a really big weekend. I had to go away with work, which is not something that I wanted to do, but I did do it because work, you have to do it. It wasn't great timing for me. Uh, I wasn't keen on it, but I knew as soon as I left that I was going to have to drive back really late. So we started at eight o'clock in the morning. We worked two or six. We had a half an hour break at one point and it was a very, very, very long day. I drove both ways to the Gold Coast. So it was a four hour drive on top of that to get back. So me, mum being mum, I was like, right, well, I'm not missing the first day of school because literally every year there seems to be a work event and I've put up barriers. And so I'm just not doing that anymore. For the last few years, I'm like, no, I'm actually going to be here. So I suppose the, the picture I'm trying to paint is that I'd sacrificed a fair bit to to come back for that day and sacrificed a night in the hotel, which would have been lovely, dinner and drinks with the work people that I was with, which would have been nice to adult for a bit and have a bit of a laugh. Gave up all that to drive back late. Very, very, very tired. Woke up this morning. Didn't go to the gym because look, this isn't what you should do, by the way. This is stupid. This is self-sacrifice, Jane. That is, I just wish I could do things differently. Got up this morning and I was like, right, I won't go to the gym because it's probably a bit unfair on the kids because what mum's come back, I very rarely go away and then I go off to the gym. That seems not the right thing to do. Sit on the couch and Billy turns to me and goes, mum, I love you so much. I miss you so much. Could you please drop me at kindy? And I'm thinking to myself, the pickup and the drop off of kindergarten is literally like the worst thing in the Thai world for me to do because it's always 45 minutes. And now they're so good to me, they allow me to walk in, they bring him to the reception and we can leave in five, 10 minutes. It's great. Because of the repetitive behavior of him having to jump out of the couch and surprise me every time, if that doesn't happen, he would go off chops. So anyway, I said to him, because he got me like weak, right? I turned around and said to him, Bill Spuddy, I really want to drop you off. I'm happy to drop you off. But I'll give you warnings, but I really need you to come with me when I ask, and I need to drop you off pretty quickly. I need you to get out of the car, I need to walk inside, and I need you to go with Sammy, like exactly what you do with daddy, if I come. If you don't think you can do that, that's okay, but you're going to have to go with daddy. And he goes, oh, I can definitely do it, right?" which bodes badly, because I'm thinking, oh no, this is...
1: He, anyway, so, he doesn't even know what that looks like. That's so
0: far away. No, yeah, I know. And also, why am having this conversation with this four-year-old? Because it's not going to happen like that. Anyway, me being me, I was like, well, okay. So <laughs> we get up. We say, so anyway, I'm giving you mornings. He's going pretty well. Well, I mean, he's pooed his pants twice, but that's standard morning. I was like, okay, well, this seems about standard. Anyways, so we're going off to leave. We do the transitional time, you know, to go, five minutes to go. Have you got everything that you need? Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, Okay, Bills, jump in the car, buddy. No. So he makes up this whole thing around show and tell and he has to take something in. I only offer him 15 things, right? None of them are to standard, which has to be something sentimental. So I go and find all of that, which is also not helpful. Like he doesn't want any of that. We ended up putting some batteries in an old radio that you use camping. So now we're twenty-five minutes late at this point, right? That took a long time. So he gets in the car. And I put his favorite song on and I'm thinking, change the mood. We're okay. He's on the edge, but I think we could recover. And I'm like, we well, could still make it. It's all good. So I'm pumping up the music. We're all singing. I'm real, like real upbeat. And I'm thinking yeah. I'm fake upbeat and I know he knows it, but I'm just trying. And me- so anyway, right? so I get out of the car and I'm like, go to open the door and he's locked me up. So that's helpful. So he's locked me out of my own car. I'm standing on the side of the road. This kindy is opposite another school, which is not the school that we go to. So it's completely inconvenient, but it is really good. So anyway, I'm like banging on the door, asking him to let me in. It's blistering, like the sweat is pouring off me. It's 33 degrees, 90% humidity, and I'm standing in the sun, begging my son to let me in the car. This went on for, I want to say 10 minutes, probably was longer. And then I was like, I don't even know what to do anymore. So I just started to pretend to walk off because I was like, well, at least if he amps up, it's better than this. Like I need something to happen. The windows are tinted. I can't even really see. So anyway, he eventually unlocks the door and comes out. Looking at the time and I'm like, we could still make it. We could still make it. Like depending on how things go, we could still make it. So I'm like, it's all good, buddy. Let's go. We walk in, he's taking his sweet time. And then when we arrive. I was like, let's put your lunchbox in the fridge because I tried to find someone at reception. There wasn't anyone there. Anyway, and then he just gets his lunchbox and he throws it at the wall and goes, I'm not doing that. And I was like, oh no. We had another 15 minutes in the room crying. I ended up just begging this lady to help me. This She was fine and it went on and on and on and on. And then in the end, I basically handed him over and they took him and he screamed and cried and screamed and cried then I walked out, got to the hallway, looked at the time and went, well, there's no way I can make it now. Thanks for that, Billy. And so then I was crying over the fact that I'd had such an awful drop-off and such an awful morning. And then I was crying because I also missed the other two going to school, which is really important to them, which is why I'd driven home. And it's hard not to feel just straight resentment for the child that, and I don't want to, I, I want to say what everyone's thinking, which is they ruin it. It's it's like he he ruined the morning because I then couldn't do anything that I was supposed to do, which was see my other two in and have a photo and give them what the comfort that they needed, and it was a very frustrating experience.
1: Oh, and I think you've described what so many of us tweak a few of those details, and so many of us have got so much experience with, and it's. Yeah. And all those feelings are really valid, right? Like, how can you not feel? How can your details? And so many of us have got so much experience with and you're ruining everything. And, oh look, I'll, I'll just pop that balloon. Like it's probably going to happen again. And it's you like, not to sort of beat yourself up for anything that you did do because you're making all those decisions, trying to make the best decision for everybody in the circumstances. It still didn't go well. So all we can do is keep thinking, well, what could I have done differently? there? What can I do differently tomorrow? The photo opportunity will still be available tomorrow, which is cold comfort, the specialness of that first day. You do kind of get used to that. Like I am pretty used to not having any of those photos now. and My son has a morning uniform, or. Sure. Most of last year, and so there's there's all those little grievant, those great things that you grieve because they're not what you imagined it would be, um, and it it does take time, and suddenly you do get used to all of those things, and it it is it is upsetting. So that's an upsetting morning. All you can do is be kind to yourself, be kind to all of the kids too, because he's going to come home, big meltdown this morning. He's been a kindy, which already tax him, and he's going to come home exhausted and have some shame around how things went this morning because that's not what he wanted either. I I believed him when he said, "Oh, I could do that," when it was earlier in the day, yeah. but when it came to it,
0: he couldn't do it, and
1: it's it's hard, isn't it? It's just so hard. And
0: yeah, and I look, I, I the- wouldn't, I wouldn't drop him off again. Like my learning from today is, doesn't really matter what, it would have been better for him if dad had have dropped him. Oh, and that change would would have been better for him. He separates much easier from my husband. Yeah. And I, I drove back and thought, well, I thought that I was doing the most loving thing, but actually the most loving thing was to stay with structure and hold the boundary. Yeah. I do the pickup because they bring him to reception yeah, and he wants to come home. It's easy. Yeah. Um but yeah, you know you, yeah you do grieve the much mix that you thought you would have had, and that you don't. And, and
1: it's very reasonable to expect those moments, but unfortunately, that's not that they're not the three kids that you have, and uh, it complicates it. And there's so many things. It's there's so much of this parenting journey for us, which has just not been what we thought it would be. So now we can. That's that's such a typical. Morning, and that's how i think that's why going back to school for some parents there's this, this relief to get to be able to leave them somewhere hopefully for a few hours but also the grief and the difficulty and the stress and the worry that comes with well how are they going to cope with the school day how are they going to cope with the hours how are they going to cope with the expectations of the school and the classroom and their peers and for us i we absolutely prefer the holidays, which sounds crazy because it can be so difficult having them around all the time. But with my two older ones are older now, so that's they're much easier to manage. And and as he gets our third child gets older, he definitely does get easier to manage, but it's still it's still exhausting. And I would still at this stage prefer school holidays to school. School is just so tricky. And there's so it much is, it is.
0: So, Tanya has got a lot of experience in advocacy at schools yeah. for her son. She's got three sons, but one is particularly, but
1: yeah, he's got lots of, he faces lots of difficulties. He's having a lot of difficulty with school. He also, he does have a bit of a tricky personality, but he certainly, like all children, is trying to do his best all the time. Like what you get is his best in that moment. And if it's a meltdown, that's as good as he's got in that moment. He doesn't like being in a meltdown. He doesn't like screaming and yelling at people. It has cost him everything. It has cost him everything. His inability to control his meltdowns at this point in time, it has cost him everything. He's in a really small transitional type school. We're trying to get him back into a mainstream school. That's the goal of this little school that we're in at the moment he has lost touch with, so with all his friends. So it, like he, the inner belt, like I can't tell you how awful it is for the child to be prone to meltdowns, to not have the ability to self-regulate. And if that's your child, wherever they are on that spectrum of self-regulation, it is so tough being that kid. And the toughest it is for us, and it is tough for us, as the parents and the adults who are trying to care for them and raise them in good humans, it's really so much tougher for them. I wouldn't be in his skin for in China. It's, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's interesting you say that. I read a book by Libby Scott and I think it's called All That I Am and she's 16 now and she wrote it as a 13-year-old autistic girl okay. and it's her, it's like a little bit fictional and I think that she's changed a few characters and probably to protect per- privacy of parents and, and sisters and stuff. but. She writes about her experience in the classroom, her experience at home, and her experience not being able to go to school and being in school refusal and what that looks like for her, what the anxiety feels like. And then when her parents say, I've really got to go to work, please can you get in the car? How that feels for her, I've cried and cried and cried. It was it is a three part series. And when you look at it through the lens of a child, as you've stated, Tanya.
1: Devastating.
0: Even knowing how the mum would have been feeling, being able to yeah. step into her easily because that's my yeah. role, I was like, "That's nothing compared to that child." Now, like her experience was, it was but horrible to read. Yeah, yeah, they're not doing this. Um, if, they, it, if it has an autistic girl, particularly, I would really recommend reading that book oh, by Libby Scuttle. I'll, I'll add there; oh, it's phenomenal. Phenomenal book. And she ends up not being able to go to school at all and they end up alternative schooling her, which, yeah, I mean, to be honest, the first thing I did when I got off, when I finished reading the book was open up and press alternative schooling option in Queensland. Um,
1: It's actually quite difficult to find the right thing. If your child's prone to meltdown externalising behaviours, almost no school wants you. Like they they just make it so hard. I don't want to be down schools because there's no point If you've got a child with externalising behaviours, or with ADHD and additional needs in any way, or autism, then you need to build a relationship with the school, and they have the power. So you have to be really diplomatic in how you approach them. And and what I would say is, so if we take it from both sides, if you've got concerns about how your child's going to go, then you can begin that process by meeting the teacher when you get the opportunity early in the year and saying, look, I'm worried about this or this with my child. Now, that teacher's probably got about 30 parents saying to them, I'm worried about my child because to some extent we all worry about our children. Give her some, give the teacher some space to get to know the kids a little bit. And if that teacher comes to you, then you've got to hope and assume that they're doing their best too. And that they want to be able to teach all the children in their class and not just the children who can sit up and listen, whole body listening and all that. So mm. begin the year with hoping that that they're actually interested in teaching everyone and not just the ones who are conformed to the classroom situation. If that teacher comes to you and you weren't expecting it, or you were. Either way, be open to hearing what the teacher has to say, because they have the great advantage of having your child amongst their peers and experience with multiple years of peers that they bring to this picture a really important piece of the puzzle. They can see how your child's interacting among their peers, they can see how your child managing the classroom expectations. They can see how your child's managing the curriculum expectations. If they've got something to say, it's really important to listen respectfully to what they've got to say. You need to, and then you need to build this relationship with them. Because if there is something that's concerning the teacher, then it's important to take that on and and respond to that. I've had so many, like my life is all about school meetings and none of us are perfect in our diplomacy it is important to keep that relationship positive because your child's in their care and your child's opportunity to get an education is almost entirely determined by the one person in charge of the class. That's it's a tricky dynamic to be in, um, especially when you're, you've got significant concerns for your, for your kid for whatever reason. All those emotions are sitting very close to the surface though it's hard to be calm all the time. It's hard also from the teacher's perspective to have a parent come with them with things they should or shouldn't be doing in the classroom because the teacher's pride in their professionalism and the way and the skill that they bring to the job, that's close to the surface for them too. So Change is hard for everybody and we're all learning so much in this space. It's very hard to keep across all the adjustments and accommodations that could be done in a classroom, universal teaching practices, all these sort of, these things are are changing, not as quickly as we'd like, but, but because there's human beings involved and they've got to perhaps learn some things the way they have been used to doing things. The teachers have to, take on the responsibility of teaching a wider variety of children in their classroom in terms of their capacity skills and self-regulation capacity and all those sorts of things, often with less resources, with a bigger curriculum. So there's a lot going on in the classroom. And I think it's important to be kind to each other for as much as you can, give each other the benefit of the doubt. Teachers get just so many emails and I know that's the case. I still find it difficult, though, that teachers ignore so many emails because that is also the case. There's, I have got a super tricky child, and, and it's clear from the years and years we've had in the education system how tricky he is, and yet teachers still ignore emails. I find that extraordinary, but I, it's hard. I mean, I imagine they get, well, I know they get a lot of emails. I don't have to imagine it. They get a lot of emails. And so what a, something I wanted to step through today was, what you can do in that space to help your child dealing with the expectations of school.
0: What would be some recommendations that you've put in place in the past that you think would be some good information for strategies?
1: I think you've got to remember what you've got control over. So you have control over what's going on at home, on the journey to school, or what happens before school, what happens after school. You can... Initiate communications with the teacher in the school. So it's important. It sounds trite, but it, and it's, and I, you talk to any mother or kid with ADHD and they're, they're feeding that kid the best they can because no one, everyone says, oh, you're feeding them jelly or bread stuff. Yes, I'm feeding my child well with a balanced diet. Making sure they've got food and they tell me there's no question that when my child's blood glucose level drops, when he gets hungry, his, his capacity to self-regulate dimin- it just disappears. So often the first thing, when he starts to dysregulate, often the first thing I do is offer him food because food can help him regulate again. So making sure the child is fed before school, making sure that they've got as best po- as possible a calm morning. And then... At the other end of the day, when you, and having a routine about school, we are familiar with the importance of that. But at the other end of the day, when it's pickup time, the import or when they get home from school, the importance of having a calm environment as best as possible. Food, when they get home. and In terms of extracurricular activities, only what they can cope with. Even if they want to do something, if they're not coping with it, you have to try and help them, de- like let go of that because it's really important that they get they get some downtime, whatever that looks like. And I, I don't judge screens. Whatever helps them, I mean, screens have their own problems, but whatever helps them regulate and decompress, getting through six hours of school cannot tell you how exhausting that is for a child with ADHD. They have expectations on them from everybody. That's all the other kids do, but their the capacity to meet those expectations is diminished. It's less than, and that's the disability, it's less than their peers. So they have to work twice as hard to stay regulated through the day, stay on task, keep their mind open and curious, to um, navigate social situations which are complex and growing in complexity as they move through the school years. It's exhausting, but when they come home, if they scream at you when they get in the car, it's not screaming at you. they are releasing the energy that they they just can't contain anymore, so you can't take any of that personally. it's not nice, it's not fun, but you just gotta get reflect back to them, I can see you're exhausted, I can see you're tired, I can see this emotion coming out of you. What can we do like and, and working with them to come up with solutions about what you can do in the coloroid home. Does music help? Does food help? Does, uh, you know, separating your kids in the car to keep them away from each other. Just looking for things that will relieve their pressure and then getting them home and allowing them some time to just have no expectations. They just need to shake off the day. Uh, we've had no luck at all with, after-school activities, but other kids with ADHD, that's where they get their joy. They go to soccer training or they go to... My kid can't do group team sports. There's just too many things going on, and that's not uncommon either. So it depends on your child, and you know your child best, but just bearing in mind how hard they have to work through the school days, which is really uncompromising, and you can't change that. What you can change is what's expected of them before and after school. So if it's if it's too much, don't do it. You have to opt out of it. And whilst we all sort of start the school journey thinking, oh, my kid's going to have, oh, it's going to be so fun. They're going to have school and then they're going to go and have basketball practice or football practice or netball practice and then games. And that may not be your journey because they just may not have the capacity to do those things. And not to make them feel bad for letting it go. It's just not your journey at the moment. There's plenty of time to pick up those things down the track. And, And there may be a less taxing alternative if it's just, if you can find something where they go once a week instead of two training days and a game day. It's just being curious about how can I reduce the load on them so that they can cope with their school day better. Homework particularly uh, in primary school up to the end of grade six. We just, we still don't do the work and we're, my son's in grade nine. So, and that's not ideal, but primary school, most teachers will tell you it's unnecessary. But don't do it. They've just had six hours at school. The best you can do, the, the best thing to do for cool. kids is read to them, read with them. That having that, white time reading with them, whether it's 10 minutes before bed or whenever you sit it into your day, that's super important. But getting them to sit down and write their letters out, not important. They will pick those things up in time. They, I promise you they will. They, there's, I've read some research about kids, whether or not they could read and write in prep, which seems to be the expectation now, which is crazy, made no difference. Almost all children by grade grade or it might have been by year, eight years of age or grade eight or something, the research is starting now, of course. They, by that point, a point in their early childhood, they they would they're all reading. So it doesn't matter whether you do it in prep or it doesn't come for another couple of years. It's important we don't make a big deal of that to them because we don't want to crush their self esteem that they're not reading and writing, but other kids are. But it will come to them eventually. It's just everyone does it in their own time, and pressure on them to be able to do this by prep or the end of prep is just ridiculous. So I would say talk to your teacher. If you can let go of homework, let it go. We the teachers were very happy for us to not do homework from school. This made no difference to him, and it's if it's such if it's going to be a massive battle to get them to do it. It's going to be so detrimental to them and your relationship, to them and their self-confidence, to their enjoyment of being at school. School's hard enough, so let them, and and you know your child better. If they're they're capable of doing homework, then do the homework. If it's it's no skin off their nose to do homework or they enjoy it, let them do it. I'm not saying don't. don't take it away if they like doing it. But if it's causing problems, just let it go. Talk to your teacher, let it go.
0: Yeah. I couldn't agree more on homework. I actually wonder, we ended up moving from the public school we were at to a private school and it's not, we didn't pick it because it was a private school at all. I picked it because it was the most neurod school on the coast near me. And I knew it was extremely neurodiverse and I had friends that work there and it is neurodiverse city there. And I love it, right? It's great. And there is no real odd child because Everyone's a bit different. And I'd really love that about it. It's very diverse. And the neurotypical, typical child is almost an odd child because everyone else is so diverse. And they've got physical and and everything's there. It is a complete melting pot. I, I really like it. And the parents, let me tell you, are diverse. So it's always good fun, always a ride. But what I have noticed is, when we first went there, I noticed there was a real homework increase. And I was like, oh, this is a bit out there. But it, I love your point because it's great to ask questions because I was like, oh, what's this? Oh, I don't want to do that. Why are we doing that? And when I was asking the teacher about it, because we'd only just arrived to the school mid-turn, right? So I was like, oh, I don't know what's happening here. And one of the teachers said to me that in that particular private school, it might not be true for all, but they almost create value for the parents by creating homework. So they give you like a login to Mathletics. They give you all of this stuff and they give it to you almost to keep the parent happy because they're paying the money for the tuition. And they're like, oh no, this is basically optional. We actually do this for the parent who is really wanting their money's worth or whatever it is, or their child wants to do it. And I was like, okay, well, rock bottom basic it for me. I always call myself one job Bob. Yeah. Just give me the one job. I'm a one job Bob person. If you tell me one, like five sentences, Every Friday, hand it in, I can do that one thing. But I spoke to them already this year for grade three, they're talking about the amount of homework and how Gigi needs to be onto her homework. And (laughs) I'm too much of a straight shooter because I just went straight up, straight to the head of inclusion. No, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing Japanese either. And she's like, oh, oh. And I was like, I'm not doing Japanese and I'm not doing homework. And I was like, show me the evidence. We had a good chat about it. And then in the end of it, she said, Oh, well, there's going to be a student diary, and you can just write in there, did not complete the homework and sign it. I was like, sweet.
1: Because, because like come
0: on. You sure? Well, Gigi's going to be devastated. Yeah, exactly.
1: So what do you she think? She hasn't completed
0: it, and she's a perfectionist.
1: And also, that's just so negative. Like, why do you have to do that at all? What, why do
0: you have? To I don't agree with homework. Grade
1: three. Because I'm like, to
0: say. Why cut out the assembly? And I mean, I don't want to be controversial. The chapel, the Japanese, <laughs> like, like the violin that she's learning this term. Let's cut that out. I think they find me a bit hilarious there because whenever I come in there, I'm just always like, come yeah, on. But it, you don't it's need it's to teach Japanese. Japanese. Like he's yeah. five. He doesn't even know how to write his name. Why is he going to write Japanese? When's he going to Japan? Well,
1: there is there is evidence that the earlier you hear and learn languages, the better. But depends on your kid, right? If you've got a kid who's already taxed by the rest of the curriculum, that's optional, man. Like, and and
0: that's what I said. Like, can't you just take him out? And I mean, he's got dyslexia. Can't you just take him out and show him how to write like his own name?
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: Exactly. That's helpful.
1: And my older boy big ones in year 12 now and for most of his high school he's very applied like he's like me when I was a kid like he's quite applied but he does almost all of his homework at school in a school day like he hardly wow. ever does any at home so and he's doing he's shooting really well for the ATAR and like he's all on track for what he wants to do this is that if you are that person that copes well with the school day and with homework Fantastic. But if that's not you, then why should you be humiliated and ashamed for that? Like, you, if you just, it makes no difference to the outcome in those early years. Getting prepared for being in high school is ridiculous. When you get to high school, then the, the expectations will change and there can be a, an adjustment there. Getting ready for high school by starting homework in prep is just crazy. And that just seems to be the way of things. Kids have homework. Are you joking? Like that. That's just so intense for the, particularly for kids, for lots of kids, not just neurodiverse kids, but lots of kids, it's too much. So I think we need to rethink that. That's something you can take up with your teacher about what's, what's, where's the flexibility? Like what's flexible about that? And without having to present your child as a failure every week for having failed to do something.
0: So let's say if you were to get a message from your school, right, via email or you were to get the dreaded phone call, right? Yeah. What would be some of the things that you could consider at that time?
1: So if you get the, can you come in and see me, or as I've had, Tanya, 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 running after me on the school playground. To, to have a quick chat about oh my your God.
0: child. Did she have desperate eyes as she followed you? Oh, because I would have sprinted. Crazy
1: eyes. Oh, my God. <laughs> crazy eyes. And I was like, oh, dear God. And it wasn't. But if you, if you get that invitation to come in and have a chat, be prepared. So presumably your child, and hopefully it's not going to be the bloke, it might be it might be that your child comes home and internalizes everything and goes into their room, becomes a hermit, and you think, "Oh well, they're tired, but school's going okay. So it might be a bit of a surprise, so however, when you get that notification, have a have a chat to your kid if they're old enough, your own child uh, how's things going at school? What do you love what time? How's things in the playground like just to kind of gauge they have got any information to give in without being too particular and putting problem on their shoulders or creating or or creating a problem but categorizing something as a problem before you know what's going on. So just kind of some general questions to kind of see if they they know if they can get an idea about what's going on. You want to take into the me into so respond to the invitation to come in looking forward to meeting with you and I would ask them for an idea about what the meeting is in regards to good to have an email exchange so it's in writing and they might be quite general if it's an initial meeting but if it's down the track and things have progressed you've got an older child there's been there has been an incident that you're aware of then you can put back on their that you want to basically create an agenda so that there's some structure to the meeting so you're not going to be surprised by what happened in the meeting. And this is a hard question because there be so many stages along this continuum about where you're at with your kid. But if if you sort of know what's happened, that there's been a problem, you can ask them to, uh, in the meeting, uh, look forward to hearing further information about the incident or my child. That you'll bring to the meet that the school will bring to the meeting specifics about the issues that they've identified, including data or reports that they might have because they often generate those things in the classroom. Um, Any strategies that they might have identified that have worked or not worked, and that you as the parent will bring to the meeting strategies that you've identified that work or don't work at home, that you will have in the back of your mind that you'll be maybe creating a communication plan so that you can keep that communication alive so things aren't going under the radar or being forgotten or overlooked, and then you want to set a date for a follow-up meeting. So that like that sounds really organized and that's kind of how you want to be when it comes to meeting with the school because you everyone wants the best outcome for the child, the goal depending where they're at, they themselves up to get rid of the child at some point or to move the child along or to indicate, to let you know that there, there might be discipline reactions taken or whatever. They just want to, you want to be organised. You want to be prepared when you go to the meeting and you want to be bringing to the meeting positivity and ideas and problem-solving headspace. The more prepared you are, the better use of your time that you're making for school and acknowledging what the teacher has tried and and acknowledging the work that they've put in, appreciating that they've generated the data and the um, report to inform the conversation between you and them, and try to keep everyone positive about how to support your child in the classroom. And what you're looking at is what their expectations what can be changed about their expectations to reduce them, those expectations for your child? And what can be done to scaffold your child to meet the expectations? So it's all about the child's capacity to meet expectations. Pretty fixed. It might vary depending on how much food and rest and how much has been asked of them at that moment. But their expectations, it's here and how you how what the school expects is often above that. So we have to look at how can we reduce what they expect of your child and how can we scaffold them so that they can meet those expectations. And that's where your accommodations in the classroom come in. That's where you're reducing expectations at home, reducing expectations in the playground. I think that's probably the hardest place because it's unregulated play. Social stuff, which is really hard for kids with ADHD to navigate sometimes and or to navigate sometimes. But expectations in the classroom there are there's lots of things that can be done in the classroom to benefit all children in the classroom, which we've talked about previously putting things on the board, checking in with your child. Which sounds like, oh, well, what does that child get? To have the teacher check in with them. It can only be a handful of kids in the class who need someone to check in with them that they've understood what the direction is, and that they want to get on with it. Most kids in the classroom will be able to do that without specifically having someone check in. so that is needed for some kids and it might be that your child is one of them and the school might be able to get other resources in maybe your child needs to have a reduced day one day a week. and I used to be really opposed to well they're, they're not doing their job if they can't keep my kid there from nine till three or eight thirty till three thirty depending on the school then they're not doing their job and I've, I've really learned that it's actually, sometimes it's about that. Sometimes they they do anything to have less in <laughs> a classroom, to be honest. But I have, regardless of that, I have learned that some kids don't have capacity to get through five days a week, 10 weeks a term, 9 till 3 or 8.30 till 3.30. They just don't have capacity to do it. And we can either keep putting them in that space where they're not coping with its inevitable consequences, but we can look at what we can do to relieve that pressure on them. Maybe they come home early on a Wednesday or a Friday or both. And it feels defeatist to say it, but that's my experience and that's the experience of other parents in this space where, Their kid just can't manage it, and so they've acknowledged that. Um, They get an early mark a couple of days a week. They're not made to feel bad about it. And not a big deal is made about it if they can get for the whole week either because then it sort of creates this intensified expectation that they should keep trying for that. You sort of want to enable them to get there and then the school, engage them, Enough to that they want to be there and, and that the school environment is a place where they are welcome. If you get all those things, the kids want to be at school, like the environment and the capacity that gets in the way of that. Kids want to learn. They want to be in the, they want to do well. They want to please their teacher. And it's all kids. I don't care what people say. That is all kids. They want to do the right thing. They want to be They're not evil. They're not They're. They're doing their best. And we have to try and understand what's happening to that child and where their capacity is at so that we can try and support them to get the education that they're entitled to.
0: Yeah, I agree because if they're not learning, then there's no point to them being there. So okay, yeah. the offset of school is that they're educated there and if that's not actually happening then there's little to no point doing the school run and battling it out if they're not actually getting the learnings that they need so I yeah totally agree with that I think it was one grade with Gigi it was a real battle I didn't know at that point the full extent of what was going on with her so I would often drop her in songs because she wouldn't put shoes and socks on because she had such intense sensory stuff it was a real battle. Sometimes it'd be ninety minutes to do shoes for her with. Yeah. And when she was five, I had a three and a two year old, so it was nuts. And I remember we got to the end of the term, and the teacher kind of dropped to me. And I really liked the teacher, but she dropped to me at the end. Oh, because we've just been revising the year before so far, <laughs> and I was like, "What? I've been doing this for a whole term, and all you've been doing is revising last year, like." what I have been through the ringer with this like and what you're just going to start teaching her after Easter like I just was I found it jarring I was like oh I've actually been through a lot the last 10 weeks but okay
1: yeah and and there if you'd know so this is if you can see that your child isn't coping and that generally manifests in behavior poor sleep eating habit you'll If they're not doing well and you have to judge that yourself, then take it up with the teacher and see what can be done. And if if you'd known that, you might have said, right, well, you know what, Wednesday afternoons and Friday afternoons, we're going to leave school at 1, 2, just get out of there early so she can decompress and get her energy back to be in that space of learning. You can only learn when you feel safe, where you feel your curiosity is allowed to uh, flourish because you, you're in a, a safe and supported environment. If you feel, if you're in constant anxiety about things not going well, you're in that, fear, that fight or flight state of mind because, and that's certainly where my son lives almost all the time, you can't learn anything because all you're just ready for things to go badly and, and run or fight. If that's where your kid is at, they're not learning. So you have to come up, be flexible and come up with ways to manage that. And I see this all the time in our, in our disability support groups where early in the goal experience, parents come on and, and just exasperated because it's not going well, and having the pressures of work themselves and how can they do this. And that was me. And being so many years down down the track, and having had to give up my profession as a lawyer, which I really enjoyed and was well paid, you just—I look at them and I just say, "You're probably not going to be able to work full time." Like that, and that's a really bitter, hard pill to swallow. When all mortgages these days require two full-time incomes, so there is a big adjustment there. If one of you, usually the mum, has seen give up full-time work or reduce their hours or but what i see almost almost without fail is that transition from how can that this is ridiculous how can i possibly do this kid isn't coping and blah 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 i've got to work we can't do does anyone know like how do other people do this where everyone says work part-time work casually to okay well now we're poor And I'm not working and because how else can you get by? Like the, your kid isn't doing well. So unless you've got other people around who can come in and help like parents or family, you know, lots of people don't, we didn't. And it's on you and your husband. And in lots of cases, one parent, because this is so hard on marriages that oftentimes marriages fall apart. It's, gosh, it's. So difficult. It's so difficult to find this pathway. It's and not all kids with ADHD have these extensive problems with school. And you and your child might manage just by all those things that we talked about earlier: making sure that their food is right, making sure that they're resting, making sure that they don't have too much on their plate, making sure they, see, they feel seen and heard for the exhaustion of getting through the day. If your kid responds well to you scaffolding them home in that way and they're able to cope with good what the kids with ADHD do well with that both parents can continue to work there's there's awareness acknowledgement support from home and that might work it didn't work for us but we've got quite an extreme child and there's such a massive spectrum of where kids sit on the spectrum of ADHD and autism so it might not be your particular journey but all, the, all this information can help you work out where your kid is at any given time, and it can also kind of start thoughts about, well, how are we as a family going to manage this if they can't do after school there, which is all of primary school. They'll need to have some sort of arrangement after school. Once they hit high school, from a very early stage, my, they, I think it's from the age of 12, they can be left at home on their own, so they might be able to get home From school and let themselves in and you can work again because that does make things easier. So that not saying that they don't, that teenagers, they do need your support after school. They do need your support before school. They do need you to understand and be interested and curious about how they're coping with school expectation. But that problem of what you do with little kids before and after school while you're working, that kind of changes because they're old enough to be left at home. And be safe, so Lex.
0: Yeah, it's totally different to carrying a child in. Yes, they throw all the chips at you, trying to get them to scream. They're crying, like, and you got multiple of them. I I know what you're saying. It's physically a little less taxing, but I'm sure the emotional roller coaster of teenagers is something that I haven't quite experienced yet. What? Uh, here's a burning question for you before we finish up. And this is just off cup, so let's see what Tanya does with this one. What if you have a child that, let's say, isn't fully high, high needs, let's say they can be okay. Um, And I don't want to use the word low maintenance, but let's say you just go to a couple of meetings and you get a couple of phone calls, but you know, it's not too bad. And you are that person who's maybe still working part-time and you're like, yeah, look, we've had some issues, but I think we might be okay here. Let's say you're in that phase and you get out the class allocations for the next year and you find that your child has the teacher that you didn't want and that you feel is not going to be the right match or et cetera, et cetera. You've gone over the summer break and you're trying to be buoyant and find some good things about this particular teacher, but your child does not want to have them. And you yourself has your own personal preferences that you do not want to ever spend time with this person, right? Let's say your child gets that teacher. What would you think that you could possibly do to make the best of it?
1: Oh, it's you are stuck between a rock and a hard place. As soon as yeah. the best thing to do, as soon as you get that allocation, if you've got history with that teacher, if there's if you if you've got history is one thing, if you've got preconceptions, that's another. So I would make it my business to kind of run into the teacher and just kind of sound them out about how you know, they might be feeling about getting your child in their class because your child's going to be known and it's probably going to be one of the kids discussed because neurodi- neuro-atypical kids uh, like ours, they, they definitely specifically discussed when they're allocating class. What they look at is it's such a complicated thing. Who else is in that classroom that might trigger them or they might have difficulties with the teachers? Qualification, experience, training. And let's not forget the pressure from certain parents in the school about who should be with who. Sure, I'm not a teacher, principal. I have no doubt that that factors into some of their decision making.
0: Oh, it does. Again, yeah, of course it does. It does. I mean, who's on the PNC and who? Oh, yeah, who requires it? It does matter. Yeah. It does matter. Yeah, of course it does.
1: So, so, it's a difficult thing to do. So, they're delicate. So, the fact that they've got to this point, and your child's in that class, you wonder, well, what's brought them that, to that decision? So, if you're unhappy, I would braid right away, often they don't give you that class list until the day before school starts, or sometimes the last day of term four when they shut the school and there's no one there. So, they do that quite deli- deliberately for obvious reasons but I would be, by this point, you probably have the principal's email address and I would take a a meeting with the principal about the matter. They're the only one who can make a change because it's a big deal. Once that class list is set, it's a big deal. Presumably, you you might have had a discussion with the school prior to this allocation because that's often also what happens where, if there is a child who's had some difficulties, the parent offers of their own initiative or they're invited to have a discussion about what might suit that kid better the next year to avoid this situation where the parent gets the allocation and goes, what? The school doesn't really want that either because they know that's going to bring lack for them and it's going to be a problem. So, but if you find yourself in that position, as soon as possible raise a principle be prepared to so write down or well, I always go into meetings with written points because the more prepared you are then the less you're going to get sidetracked by emotion and the uh, and not not get your concerns across the so in with your list of concerns and hear what principal's got to say it's really hard to get them to change when it's allocated. Your best bet is to do it before they announce that alloc- allocation. But it, has, it does happen. It's just very difficult. And, and you have to kind of decide how important it is. And then if, that, if it's going to be set in stone, then maybe get, see if you can get the school to commit to a review. If it's not going well after term one, what can we do? It's also, the students know it's very unusual for one child to move one class to another. So the reason is almost. So It's once you're in this situation, you may well be in this situation for a year. And I know families that have left the school because of that sort of decision. And you can't tell me that the school wasn't aware that that was a reasonably likely outcome. So if that happens, then you've got to be thinking about that too. How much do we want to be here? Their tough days when you when you're looking down the barrel of twelve months with a teacher that you've got history with, you suspect doesn't really like your child to teach your child. If you're stuck in that class, and lots of families find themselves in that situation, then you just have to. That is a very big factor for you to have to bear in mind for the entire year that that kid's in that class. Not only are they having to expend all that energy to get through the day. Just any way to be learning, navigating the social situations that go on in the classroom, that go on in, a, in the playground. Um, kids often maturing quick, more quickly than your child. So they're like navigating social studies, super difficult. But on top of all of that, they've got a teacher who doesn't like them, a teacher who thinks, who doesn't particularly want to teach them. So if that's their situation, then you have to really be aware of what can I do to better support my child and having early marks, regular early marks where it's, they're just picked up and brought up. Be very aware of what you're asking them to do before school and after school, their rest, where their anxieties are. And it sounds like a lot of work, but you kind of do get into the, you are, you do stay in sync with how your kid is going because they're, Often the, the behaviours are your clues as to what's going on inside until they can do that with you in a more considered way. And it's just supporting them through what is going to be a tough year. And they're going to have those tough years because even when you get to high school, the range of teachers and not all of them are going to be happy to have your child in their classroom. So I hate kind of saying, oh, it's a, it's a good lesson in life because I just think, well, they're babies. We have to be teaching them life lessons. what but that's sometimes also in some schools, there's only one teacher for that year. Yeah, so the, this situation absolutely happens, but it's very hard for your child and it's hard for you and you have to be careful about how you manage it because if you want to keep a relationship with the school, then you need to just be presenting specific instances as they occur with that format where you're requesting a meeting by email, uh, suggesting an agenda, I'd like to talk to you about uh, homework or I'd like to talk to you about the incident in the playground or whatever your concern is. Appreciate it if you could bring to the meeting any data you've got or reports you've got about what's going on in the classroom. Um, I've got some ideas about strategies to uh, help my child access the curriculum better, really would really like to hear from you what strategies you've tried in the classroom that work or haven't worked. Like setting that agenda so that everyone's got to turn their mind to each of those things, and you're problem solving the whole time, and not getting carried away with emotions and with blame and with accusations of attitude and all that sort of thing. You're just really focused on problem solving. This is these are this is the problem, which is not the child, but with which which might be how they're performing whether they're meeting expectations in the maths class or whether they're, they're overly distracted after lunch or um, they always come in after lunch angry and that might be because of stuff that's going on the playground you need to be focused on that problem and how you can unpack that problem and how you can inform the solution of that problem which will almost always, always include having a chat to your kid about it what it can they tell you do they not like where they're sitting in the chorus do they Did something happen in the playground that they don't know how to deal with? Just constantly trying to understand what's happening for them that they're not doing well in the classroom or
0: in the playground. The tough position to be in, Jane. One last question because I just got a burning one and then I will let you go, Tanya. Yeah, sure. Do you think there's any benefit from being the squeaky wheel gets the oil? Like You know how people go, oh, if you're the squeaky wheel and you get more attention, do you think that that's true for a parent in school or do you think that's actually negative
1: both I think it could be both because you've got to be careful like definitely if you say nothing nothing's going to happen so when your kid can't advocate for themselves you're their advocate your child will learn to advocate for themselves by listening to you and by you talking them through what's going on so you have to you you have to decide about what's worth advocating for and what do you let slide. The squeaky wheel always gets more solutions than someone who is saying nothing at all. Absolutely. But over, overarching all of this is you have to be, bear in mind the bigger picture. You want a relationship with the school. You need to present positivity about that relationship. You need to be almost... Professional, you, you want to come across as not a rabid mother who wants their kid to get all A's. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is my child has a disability. There are things that can be done that benefit all children in the classroom. And you really want to talk about how we can have that going on in the classroom and, and exchanging ideas about how that might work. Yeah, I, I, you've got to be diplomatic, you, and 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 also I think being open to see the school's perspective on things, because that's what you want them to do. You want them to see your child's perspective. They're, it's important to hear their perspective, things, the bigger picture for them, so to speak.
0: Yeah. yeah, and I think it's important as well to contact with positivity. I had some really difficult times last year with my son in prep, and. People that know him from Instagram probably think that he would be the perpetrator of a lot of the violent outbursts, right? I understand that. It's actually shocking to believe, but it's actually not him that does it. But he will stir up trouble on purpose. And there's a lot of kids there that struggle with impulse control. Controversially or not, a lot of the kids have started school early, met four. So they possibly don't have the impulse control and maturity as boys to control themselves and he does stir he stirs all day right so I, I get it anyway but what the result was that every day he would be punched in the stomach or there'd be an issue one of the kids picked up a block to actually around the head with it and like this sounds awful but I get it because he does antagonize to the point that you do get rage like so I get it but the school were extremely proactive in settling that down and that was a very difficult situation I would much prefer to be the child that was actually being hurt than the ones for the perpetrator because i thought what they received was a little bit different to what i received but i've because i've got my youngest son coming through i'm aware that i will probably have the perpetrator coming through anyway but i did really try and send through a lot of emails at the end of the year when things settled down just to let you know i really appreciate it we've had another good week because i wanted to keep, make sure that there was the impression given that i am somebody who can be happy i'm not just like negative nelly I can appreciate hard work and I can call it out for what it is. Yep. The other thing that I thought that you spoke about really well was probably just getting a bit more proactive. I don't think there's anything wrong with the end of the year of identifying what teacher you don't want and sending an email, having a chat and figuring out what's the best way to not get that teacher. Yep. Because I agree with you. When that class list is out, you are, you're fighting, losing battle. I've been there. I've had that situation in the local public. And we did give it the first week. And I mean, I didn't handle myself particularly well. I was very emotional. And this was right on the same time of a lot of diagnosis across our family that we've been doing school holidays. And I was very aggravated that she was not okay. And then when I was given this dog's breakfast of this high needs classroom that they put all of the kids with high needs together with two teachers that were completely, one was nearly going to retire and the other one was off maternity leave and a baby wasn't sleeping. So it was a mess. Anyway. And by that point, you're in a losing battle. Yep. So I think that learning has been really positive. And I don't think, I hope that no one listening to this podcast lets themselves get in that position because that was a very difficult spot. Yes. The other thing that I've done this year that is borderline over the top, but I, I look, I couldn't help myself. I did it. Was we did a four page inclusion support plan for GG, which I was super happy with. Classroom teacher, head of Head of inclusion and I wrote it together. And her classroom teacher last year was only, I mean, if you could just clone that woman, she's insane. She's so good. Yeah. And anyway, so I thought that there might be issues with two of the teachers across grade three. And there was one that I was quite keen for her to get. Though I think they looked at me and thought, oh, she's going to lose her mind if she doesn't get the teacher that she wants. Because being having been through what we've been through, I was a bit like, look, well, I can't do that again. Anyway, so we got allocated the the teacher that I was keen on and we've got this inclusion plan. And I was like, I'm pretty confident that no one is going to send my child's inclusion plan to the other two teachers who personality-wise will 100% conflict real hard with my daughter who will then refuse to go to school. And I could see that coming. And I was do like...
1: Do they have all three teachers, do they?
0: Well, they... They do, I think they're not allowed to stream. Obviously, no one streams. No one's in Queensland's aren't to stream, apparently. But that happens, all the time. that happens all the time. But what they do is they open up the classrooms, which are supposedly segregated, and then they group the kids in order of ability, which they call animal groups. That's and then each teacher takes a different level. So I know that these two teachers who are quite grating in personality and quite loud and can be quite... I don't want to use the word condescending, but like there is some, some, some just problems there, right? Anyway, that I think if you have any child that's sensitive or any child at all, probably would be quite difficult. So I, th- I wrote them a nice email and I was like, hello, just wanted to introduce myself. I'm Gigi's mom. Here, this is a copy of her inclusion plan. I'm not sure if, I know it's been very busy. You probably haven't seen it, but she's in your grade. And I thought that it might be nice for you to see it. Looking forward to a great year, blah, blah, blah. And I may have put a line in there about, like, I'm very hands-on. I'm very open to communication. And I thought they are going to look at that email and think, oh, she seems over the top. And I'm hoping that they then think, Gigi's mum is definitely going to email me and ring me. And I'm not going to blow up at her. That was my hope with the email.
1: Well, you've put, the, you've put yourself, and Gigi, on the radar. Which is mm-hmm. what you need to, like... Gigi's needs, a bit different to her peers. So you've done what you needed to do. I don't think it's over the top and you've actually raised something that I think can be really helpful at the beginning of the year. Every kid with a disability, every kid with HD or autism, I think it's really useful to have that sort of document and whether you do it independently or you do it with school, special needs coordinator or whatever, they want to give that, that person. But to give that to your teacher first up, I think that's really valuable. And I, we have to hope and expect that they will read that with the good intention it was given, that it gives them some insight to the child, their strength, their weaknesses, things that can help if the child appears not to be coping for any, what that might look like, the payments that, that might benefit and some strategies that have helped, giving them access to some food from their lunch or a drink of water, the opportunity to go for a, a walk to the toilet, go to the toilet, just to kind of get some movement. A one-page document because the teacher's already got so many things to read um, about all the kids, but that sort of document I think is really valuable. So. Providing that document to the other teachers, I think, it's a really appropriate thing to do, and expressing, catching it in all that positive language, I think, is really important, and keeping positive language going all year really important. Yeah, uh, you know, especially if things happen, and the importance of doing what you did with the previous teacher, just reflecting back your gratitude when things go well and. We're all human. We all need to hear those. And I I think that I do a really good job of that. I see when people try really hard for my child and I call it out all the time because I think it's really important that they, that's what I want them to do for my kid. When he is trying really hard, I want them to call it out and say, hey, well done, you did a great job with that. I do that for them all the time. I think it's really important. It's hard work teaching and so to have someone bring extra to the table is you you want to commend that and so all of that's really important. Everything you said is really important. That communication in writing is really useful and hopefully it sets you up for a good year. Hopefully they will be, at the very least, they're going to be aware that DG has a, a supportive, mum who's prepared
0: to advocate a little all well that was the intention I was like I can't I can't not send it and I don't want to hear I didn't know I don't want to hear that the first week they made an example of somebody they picked her out and I thought because if that happens I will have to drive to the school I will 100% do it I don't want to hear that they didn't know yeah and if there is whatever drama that goes on I'm like, I don't want that to be my child in the forefront of that as some example. That was what I suppose I was thinking about. And I was thinking, well, it's best that they know rather than them say, I didn't know. Because it has in there, for example, prone to school refusal will, for example, if she is disciplined or raised voice at, she will hide under desk, not want to come to school the next day. And I'm kind of like in my mind, don't leave me with that mess to clean up yeah. because she's extremely conscientious and all you need to say is, did you do your work? And she'll be like, oh, my God. You know what I mean? So I was kind of like, let's just like handle with care because if we get into that school refusal thing, it's a difficult place for me to be then in.
1: Yeah. Well, look, school refusal is really hard and it's not helped by school emailing out at the beginning of each term, the importance of sending your child every single day to school. No shit, Sherlock. Like There's no parent who has their kid at home thinking, oh, no, I'd much rather have them at home at school getting an education. Like, you're preaching to the converted. I think what schools have looked at is why is it that we have this huge proportion of children who don't want to go to school? What are we doing wrong as a school? What is going wrong in our school classroom or in the playground that this kid, all these kids, there's so many of them, don't want to come to school? What are we doing wrong? Because I tell you what, it's not that kids don't want to learn. Kids want to learn and they want to do their best. They want to please their teacher. They want to please their parents. They want to have hope for their future. What is going wrong in the classroom that they don't want to be there? That's why we need to start the inquiry, not kind of well, what's wrong with your parents not sending your kid to school? Mate, not the parents. There's, there's something about the school environment that's making it difficult, impossible, for that co- that child to get into the classroom. And it's about feeling safe in that classroom. It's about feeling valued in that classroom. It's about feeling welcome in that classroom. Uh, you tick those boxes and you're
0: going your to get kids at school. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I agree completely. I think this planning episode has been so beneficial and we all want what's best for our kids. And I think we've all been caught up in what should I do? Should I do this? Should I do that? Is it detrimental? And you know, you're kind of going, should I say something about the class teacher? You don't, then you get the one you want. Then you think I should have done this differently. And I suppose it's all out of our control some of the time anyway. You can influence it though.
1: You can you, what you want is an ongoing dialogue with the school, not for every child, and not for every child with ADHD, but there are some kids, and I've got one of them, and it sounds like you've got at least one of them, where you need to have an ongoing positive dialogue with the school, keep them at school, and to give them the education they're entitled to. And we're not talking about making sure that your kid gets all like, oh, I don't give a ticker's toss about A's. What I care about is my kid being in the classroom learning how to navigate social situations because that's he really struggles with that and that is a skill that he needs for the rest of his life in every aspect of his life. And just being in a place of learning where hopefully he will feel safe enough eventually to start taking on some of the information that's being talked about in the classroom. I don't even... my, My expectations of his actual curriculum learning is so low I think there's this misconception that there's all these disabled kids wanting A's and it's all about kids complaining because there are parents who do that, who for sure, who just want their kids to get all A's regardless of ability or capacity and that has its own problems. But that's not what we're talking about today. What we're talking about is kids with ADHD who has not got the capacity to meet standard classroom instruction uh, expectations and peer expectations and how do we help them and how do you plan for a year at school with that?
0: Well, thank you so much for your time, Tanya. That has been so beneficial. And I know there's a lot of people that listen to the planning for school holidays and loved it and sent me a lot of messages. That was a really refreshing take. So I hope that a lot of people take away from this. If you've loved this, please leave a review, follow us on Spotify, send me a DM, connect in any way. We've got a, a really good Facebook community group that I've just started and there's local meetups aside from the meetups one of the other valuable things about it I think is the connection to providers so there'll be discussions around I went to a really great pediatrician oh my god they opened their books they're in Springfield I think those conversations that you get from mothers that are in the similar position are invaluable because if you post up on a just a general national page you just get a general mishmash you don't know what's what whereas I think in the local community groups if there's a really great provider or program available or tutor. It might be a great place to connect. So thank you so much for your time, Tanya. really appreciate it.
1: Total pleasure. It's so lovely to talk to you again, Jay.